Hi, and welcome to Stories from the Trenches, the Change Artist Spotlight. I'm your host, John Gallant, and today we're joined by Laverne Council, who's the CIO of Johnson & Johnson. Welcome, Laverne. Hi, John. Thank you. I recently spoke with Laverne, as well as uh, J&J CEO Bill Weldon in our Change Artist program, and uh, Laverne, I very much enjoyed that conversation. You've got a, a great new job, having been in the position for about uh, six months now, I believe, and uh, a lot of exciting things on your plate. And I think uh, the folks who listen to the program found it interesting uh, as well because we've gotten a lot of questions to ask you today. So, uh, Laverne, I have a question from uh, Sam with Atlas Systems. And Sam asks, could you give us a sneak preview into a day in the life of a CIO? You have various business entities and so many changes you're planning to bring into the organization. Can you elaborate on how you're spending your time each day? Every day is a little different, um, but, but if I just sort of thought about the various interfaces that I have during the day and, and broke it up into a percentage of time, looking at it on average, you know, a big part of my responsibility is, is leadership and, and leadership of the team. So I would say that probably um, a good 25% of my time is spent talking to people. Uh, meeting with them, having one-on-ones with them, assuring them about what's next and and what they should be thinking about, um, doing mentoring as well as some career guidance. But it's you know, frankly, any day that can range from 25% to 80% of my time, um, just depending on what day it is. I, I think the the other big part of the day is really working with my direct leadership team. Um, probably another. 30 or 25 percent of the time, and and what I'm doing with them is really trying to add that last five percent of value. And and as they're looking at issues, as, you know, with the large teams that they support, you know, how can I bring synergies to them based on what I know of the other sectors and and my other direct reports, and making sure that we're communicating properly and leveraging the knowledge that each of us have and what we're doing in our various areas. And then I would say, you know, another um, 25% of my time is spent working with the leadership and the various business leaders in one way or the other. Um, you know, tomorrow, just to take an example, I will be with the executive committee pretty much the entire day. That's not the norm, but it is a chunk of the time. And, and purposing there is going to be really sharing and communicating on behalf of the entire team listening and understanding where the business is going and, and the challenges they're facing as well as new horizons we might be interested in, in entering and, and really getting a, a, an assessment on how we can best utilize our talents uh, in support of those business objectives. And then I think the part that's left, I spend time learning. and I spend time uh, meeting people in other organizations, understanding what they're doing, understanding what their challenges are, reading, you know, of course, there's the, the dreaded email um, that comes in from all over the place, but frankly, just making sure that I'm helping other people be effective, answering those questions as I can, and then keeping the process going. So it, it, it's, a, it's a challenging job, but it actually is an incredibly fun job because no two days are alike. I'm fascinated with how you begin the process of developing the kind of strategic plan that you talked about uh, on our program. Uh, a new strategic plan around IT. How did you begin those discussions with your team as well as with senior business leaders? Well, it actually was a number of phases uh, to, to get to a point that we were prepared 
to even have the dialogue around a strategy. And, you know, a lot of people will come up and say, oh, we're going to develop a new strategy. Um, my style is really more to learn more about the organization first. And I would say that initially um, I came in with a, with a set of questions about the organization, about what was driving the organization, and really tried to spend some time getting to know the leaders. Not so much talking about the technology, but also talking with the team, understanding what was important to them as information technologists and, and where had they seen opportunities and what kinds of things that they liked doing. So it was a lot of learning, listening, but also dialoguing, ensuring that the team understood my drivers, understood you know what was important to me as a leader, what were the kinds of things culturally that, that I felt excited about. And, and so it, it meant that I had to make myself somewhat vulnerable to them to them to understand who I was, where I'd been. So I spent time introducing myself. And frankly, I think for some people, that was a little odd. I did it on a timeline of technology. So I put myself on that timeline and my life on that timeline so they would understand what drives me, what was happening in my life at particular times in my life, and then sort of how do I get here. Mm. Um, and, I, and I think that, that creates a different kind of connection with people, but also the, the conversations that I started having with people were much richer. And, and I sort of asked my team, you know, to come back and tell me what they were learning, what they were hearing. And so that, that process of that open communication was critical. I met IT leaders and business leaders all over the world, and I took it upon myself to go to them and meet with them. And then um, in about the October time frame, I said, okay, we're ready. We're ready now to, to start this process of talking to them about our new strategy and getting the inputs from them, but also the inputs from the healthcare industry and what the trends were going to be, um, looking at every single initiative that we were doing in each of our three sectors and dissecting those, meeting some team members who could work with us who were directors and VPs and other teams that were willing to share what they had learned and then bringing that all together. But I, but I think, you know, it, it it did require me sort of going out on the limb and, and giving people understanding of, of a brief assessment that I had. I called it the 90 Days to the Future. And um, I gave them my assessment of what I had picked up in the first 90 days and and really asked for their input on that. And that became a big input into the ultimate strategy. Laverne, I have a question from Leonard Sentio, who a, has a consultancy business, and, and he's really talking about one of the core issues. The question I have for Laverne is, how do you bridge the gap between the IT organization and the business? In other words, how do you create and maintain business intelligence with your own IT department? That is a critical factor and, and, and frankly, makes the information technologist job a little tougher because it, it, it doesn't just require that you know technology. It does require that you have a good understanding of the businesses and the business direction. That's not always easy while you're trying to do your day job. Mm. And, and also ensuring that the business is comfortable where you're going with that information. So it, it does require that you, that you have a level of um, relationship with the business leader that they understand why you need to know what you need to know. Because what will start to happen is they'll start to feed you the information. They'll start to make sure that you're on that distribution or that you're included in that meeting when they're having that dialogue. 
that, you know, it becomes an important point that when the business understands the value of having their information technology leader at the table, they won't have the meeting without them being there. And so it's critical that IT technologists and leaders, you really have to burst yourself on the business. You really have to understand what the numbers are saying, what the top, what drives the top level, what drives the bottom level, not just from technology's point of view, but from an overall point of view. Because then when the conversation starts, you can understand it, but then when the conversation continues, you can be part of it. An interesting angle on that is you, you have access to, to people at, at a level within the corporation that most of the team members probably don't. So how do you encourage people who are at different levels within the IT organization to gain that business intelligence? Yeah, you know, I, I have to base it on my experience and, and growing into this job. You know, I, I, I would like to say I was born a CIO. I wasn't. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I started out as a programmer analyst <laughs> many moons ago. And and even then, I can remember um, finding who my peers were, you know, in the business that I was supporting. And, you know, as peers, what were you doing? Why were you doing that? And, you know, I started out in insurance, and so, you know, they were actuarials and and doing different things that, frankly, you know, I didn't study in school. I studied business, but not that kind of business. Right. And so, you know, it's building those relationships from the very beginning. And then, guess what? Those people become managers when you become managers, you know, and then, right. and, and and those relationships carry you through. So you build and, your and network think, on the way. Yeah, out. you build your network on it, and I think people forget that. And you know, and you also are involved in in professional organizations where other people have insights that they're willing to share. Frankly, it's something you you naturally should do as part of your career growth. But if you're going to be in IT, you know, it starts from the very beginning, and frankly, those relationships sort of go along with you. I I mean, to share with you a real-life story, um, our head of investor relations sent me an email and said, you know, we get calls all the time about somebody that says they know you, and here's the guy's name, and um, he says he knows you. And I looked at the name, and I looked at the name, and I said, "I, I recognize it, but I can't remember him. And then I asked my sister, I said, would you call and find out who this is? So he, she called. She didn't get him, but she got his voicemail. At the point that I saw the voicemail and what it was, I knew immediately who he was. I remembered having conversations with him. He's, he's a, he actually is a CEO of a very premier gaming area now, and he just probably wants to touch base. But I remembered him finally, but I also remembered his good business sense. Yeah. So I will follow up with him and 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 continue that dialogue probably where we left off. It had to be 15 years ago. That's great. So, you know, it, it it is real, and I think sometimes we forget. You don't have to talk to the VP. Sometimes it's just the person sitting across the hall from you. That makes sense. Laverne, a question from Philip McRae, who is uh, Executive Vice President with Exceed Global. Recognizing that on a major technology initiative, Adoption by people is one of the biggest success factors, but also one of the hardest factors to manage consistently. Does J&J have an approach or methodology to organizational change management that you can share? Do you have any resources or suggestions in this area for our company? Yes, well, we actually do have an approach, and um, people that actually help to train the team members that I have on my team, as well as help us in engaging change and driving change. Um, but, you know, he really hit the nail on the head. Change is the hardest part of what we do. People have an emotional attachment 
to the way that they do the things they do and the tools that they use to get it done. And and when I say emotional, it is emotional. You know, it it, it, it sometimes gets very personal when you tell someone, you know, you're going to retire something they've been using for 10 years and move to something new because it will enable the business, but they never quite understand that. And so being able to articulate that and being able to, to give the person the time to explain to you what's important to them and why they love this other product, but at the same time, being able to give them the training and get them over that emotional hurdle to use the new one is, is a major effort. And so, yes, we do have methodology for that. Um, we do have people that work with folks that I have on my team um, as part of my communications efforts as well as um, in the process methodology and approach that we use. And, and it's just viable. And the fact is you really can't underestimate what it takes to drive change. And, and um, I think sometimes we do that, and it's the worst thing we can do. I have a question from uh, what appears to be one of your colleagues, Hassan Hami, uh, Chief Architect at Information Architecture at J&J. One of the areas of discussion in the context of enterprise architecture has been that uh, mass customization that has happened in manufacturing and computer industry is being forecast as a major trend in healthcare to help reduce costs and drive innovation. This will need an infrastructure capable of sustaining the complexity of personalized medicine. Similar to what, let's say, in the automobile industry, GM has done with the OnStar system. Could you share your thoughts on the same? Uh, I, I think it's, it's quite interesting. In fact, I, I think it sort of leads itself right into the area of, of biofarm, where we will be developing products to the individual. I, I really feel that that is inevitable and where we're going. And from an IT point of view, it's going to drive us to really having a high-level use of information and uh, information as we gain it from molecular discovery, information as we gain it from um, a pharmacovigilance and, and how a product worked or did not work uh, well for certain types of patients or work for certain types of needs. Um, and bringing that information together uh, and then taking someone else's um, gene information and creating the right drug for them. I, I fundamentally believe that's the next frontier of, of pharmaceuticals. I think that's the next frontier of healthcare. And, you know, as, as the genomics get smarter, as our ability to map the human genome is, is, is clear, I really think that's where it's going to go. And I think fundamentally the, the big driver in helping the scientists to be able to get information faster is going to be using information technology. I do not think it's going to be different technologies. I do think that the technology is going to have to step to a whole other level of intelligence and learning. Um, and that's going to require different kind of learning agents and different kinds of ways that we map information together. I don't, I don't even think at this point we clearly have an understanding of where this is going to go. Laverne, a question from Myron Lasher, who is the president with Common Sense IT. I can imagine with uh, 200 operating companies why standardization is a core part of her strategy and how this could be a major change for both of them. I was wondering if she could elaborate on how she's executing this strategy. Uh, is she uh, centralizing certain functions? Is she implementing a framework like ITIL? Yeah. I know my Myron from my days and my previous employee, um, and uh, I'm glad he's doing well. 
Um, I, I think that uh, it will require a number of different things. One, we we don't necessarily correlate standardization with centralization. Um, and I think many times centralization fundamentally is an organizational constraint, where standardization is a methodology and, and really is an, an alignment view. And from our strategy point of view, we're going to try and really what we're leveraging is an enterprise capability that, that any of the 200 operating companies could use and should use in order to create a competitive opportunity for themselves. Um, we are actually at an enterprise level defining the architecture, defining the security posture, defining the um, compliance stature, all those things so they don't have to do it for themselves in order to allow them to use their time for other things that would be more beneficial. Also in defining our platform for growth, frankly, by doing that, we're giving them the computing power and the capability to to compete at a whole nother level by having a platform that will allow them to interface with the customer better, and that's where the customization really should occur. Mm -hmm. So where we're looking at it more standardization, where we're looking at it more is around the various strategies being in our improve and, and transform and innovate buckets and ensuring that we tie from an enterprise to get uh, enterprise level to each of our different sectors to enable them. So it's, it's, a, it's a complexity here when you have 200 operating companies, but it certainly is not um, – it is something I think we can solve and it's important as we execute this strategy that everyone understands where we're going. And we are using frameworks like ITIL. We are standardizing around our development uh, framework. So, the, of course, those kinds of things help us to get this kind of synergy faster. Thank you for tuning into this podcast. If you want to hear more from Laverne Council, please listen to part two of this two-part series. For more stories from the trenches or to learn more about HP Change Artists, please go to www.hp.com slash changeartist. For HP Change Artists, I'm John Gallant.